I saw a video clip of a drive-through COVID testing facility this week. It was in America. And you drive up in your car, you were to hand over $300 for a blood test. There were masks, two or three people with masks, white jumpsuits, PPE, the whole bit. But it turns out that this particular drive-through testing facility was entirely fake. And those who were driving through became quickly suspicious. And they were incredibly angry when they found that they were deceived, that they were exploited, that these people claiming one thing were in fact imposters. It's a terrible thing at this time to exploit the vulnerable. That video ended pretty quickly with some angry people. But here today we have the story of one who some thought was an imposter, one who deceived. In fact, that concept and that word deceiver or liar or imposter is used a couple of times in Matthew's account. See, there were many who believed Jesus to be a fraud, to be someone who claimed so much but yet delivered something very different. In fact, the chief priests and the Pharisees accused Jesus of this. And that's where it should have ended. It should have ended very quickly with the claims of this imposter being squashed. But the problem for those who killed Jesus in Matthew's account is that, well, Jesus has said that he will rise in three days. If you see there in Matthew chapter 27, verse 63, the religious elite say to Pilate after Jesus has been killed, they say, remember, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. See, Jesus' death is not an unfortunate tragedy because he, in fact, announced his own death and his own resurrection with a date three days later. And it shouldn't be hard to prove the obvious for those that have killed Jesus, for the Pharisees and for the chief priests. All they have to do is to keep a lid on a dead man for three days. That will prove him to be a liar. That will prove him to be one who has deceived a corpse can have no power. The disciples who were following Jesus have scattered. And so Pilate orders the chief priests and the Pharisees, there in verse 65, to go ahead to make a tomb as secure as you know how. So they went away and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. See what Pilate's response is? It's lock him up. Lock him up good is Pilate's word. Knock out the wedges and roll the stone over because Jesus is just an imposter, a liar, one who's deceiving the vulnerable. He lied about being king and so we killed him. And he's lying about rising 
in three days. It's a foregone conclusion in the Pharisees and the chief priests' mind. People don't rise from the dead. That's what they conclude. And indeed, that's what we conclude. We conclude, and in the normal pattern of our lives, that people do not rise from the dead. And in fact, many would just write off what we are meeting here this morning to talk about. Many would discard it. Many wouldn't even entertain the possibility that Jesus rose from the dead. Because how could that be? It doesn't happen. Many people never really look at the evidence to ask, is it true? Because they can't get past the first question. That is, is it possible? Because if it's not even possible, you don't have to worry about the evidence. But what does Matthew have to say? How could this be possible? Have a look there at the start of chapter 28, there in verses 1 and 2. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Do you see what Matthew's account speaks of? It speaks not of the normal circumstances of life. Our lives in the last four weeks have been anything but normal. And in many ways, we've been forced to question many assumptions that we hold. Things that, for many of us, we've lived our whole life believing. A normal world that circles in its normal ways has, for many of us in the first time, been interrupted. Our assumptions about life have been questioned. And here, in Matthew's account, Matthew records this as something different from the normal human life, from normal normal human life. Matthew gives a supernatural account of the events of Jesus' resurrection, an earthquake, an angel of the Lord from heaven. You see, what Matthew tells us is that God is acting in our world. Heaven is coming to earth in the moments around Jesus' resurrection. You see, if there's a God and he created life, it couldn't be harder for God who created life to also resurrect it. If there is a God who made life, then surely there is a God who can resurrect it. You see, it's entirely rational that if God made life, He could also restore it and raise it in three days. See, it is possible. It's possible to believe in the resurrection. But it's possible because it's true. And in Matthew's account, it's true, but it's true not because it's easy to believe. And that's what's really fascinating about the way in which Matthew presents this account of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew and those who witnessed the resurrection believe it to be true, but it's not easy to believe in, nor is it easy to understand. 
I mean, look at Mary, for example, there in verse 5. The angel said to Mary, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. Even Mary, this loyal disciple there, is expecting to find Jesus' body. She goes to the tomb. We know from other accounts in Luke that, and uh, Mark that she goes with spices, expecting to find Jesus' corpse. And it would seem that she seems she needs some convincing by the angel there in verse 6. He says to her, he, being Jesus, is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. See, the angel realises that the reality and the truth of Jesus' resurrection isn't easy to believe. It's not expected by Mary. And no doubt that is one, why, one reason why she's scared and hesitant. She's not expecting the resurrected Lord Jesus. She's expecting the corpse of the one that she loved. But the angel shows her that place, that empty place, that place where his body did once lay. Matthew's account shows that there were other arguments around at the time as to why the tomb was empty. Later on, we're told in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 28 that the guards later are told to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, I don't know how that would stand under some level of scrutiny if uh, Jesus' body was stolen by the disciples while they were asleep. How would they know who stole the body if they were asleep? You see, the tomb is empty. But just because the tomb is empty, it's not easy to believe. It's not easy for us as modern people to conceive that there could be someone who was once dead and then three days later rise. You see, Jesus' resurrection is true. It's true not because it's easy to believe. But it's true because Matthew's account records people responding to the magnitude of the resurrection in the way that we as modern people would expect. You see, in those days, in Greek culture, in Jewish culture, in Roman culture, women would not, unless they were very, very wealthy, they would not inherit property. Their testimony wouldn't stand up against a man in court. It was inadmissible. And what we have here, as Matthew records it, is not men who witnessed the first moments of the resurrection, but it's Mary, this woman. Why would Matthew record it this way? It's fascinating. If he was seeking to fabricate a story of Jesus' resurrection. He wouldn't have included it with women being the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. You see, those women 
who first saw that empty tomb. Mary, as she leaves the tomb, as she was told by the angel to go and tell the disciples, is met on the road as she goes to the disciples by the resurrected Lord Jesus. And it's a wonderful moment for Mary. It's a beautiful moment here in verses 8 and 9. But the way Matthew writes this story, he would never have intentionally flouted this approach of women being the first witnesses if this was a story that was made up. No, Matthew records women being the first eyewitnesses because that's what they were. Whether or not this is easy to believe. Additionally, we read in the other accounts that Jesus appeared not only to the women or the 11 disciples, but he also appeared to hundreds, thousands, uh, hundreds of people. Hundreds of people witnessed the resurrected Lord Jesus. You see, the resurrection is not easy to believe, but it is true. And we see that throughout history. We see the impact of the resurrection in history. Later on, in the final moments of this gospel, Jesus tells his disciples, those who he's met, to go into the world and tell all people, all nations, of what he has done. And that's exactly what they do. And so what you have in this uh, early church is these scattered, these, um, these Christians, this tiny group of marginalised people with no social capital or financial capital going out and telling the news of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And what's remarkable is, as they did, in 200 years they swept through the Roman Empire and became the most dominant force in it. You see, it's hard to believe in the reality of the resurrection. That's not something that's natural for us to believe. It's not something that was natural for those in the first century to believe either. But they did, because they saw the Lord Jesus And they spoke of him. And the ancient world was turned upside down. It was turned upside down as Christians lived the reality of the resurrection, as they died singing, as they were compassionate to those around them, as they opened the worship of the Lord Jesus to any person. See, why? Why did Christianity do so well? Why did it grow in such an explosive way? Well, because there was an explosive power behind it. It was an explosive power of a man who was dead and who was raised. And Matthew gives us this powerful evidence that this vast release of energy that changed the ancient world, that indeed changed our world, has come from this one man who was once dead, And is now alive. Matthew shows us that this tomb was empty. And he shows us that although hesitant, although fearful, they believed in Jesus. 
And they believed in Jesus with fear. But we see there that Mary also believed in Jesus with joy, with fear and with joy. In verse 17, Jesus meets his disciples. And it says there, when they saw him, they worshipped. You see, it wasn't just the reality that a man was dead and now was alive. There was something more than just that mere fact. There was the reality that they worshipped the Lord Jesus, that they had heard his words, those ones that they had perhaps doubted, the words that had said that he will be raised in three days. You see, Jesus was raised and his disciples believed as difficult as it was. But not all believed. We're even told there in verse 17 that some doubted. Some who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus even doubted. You see, because we can be given all the evidence that we want. I mean, if we were to meet the Lord Jesus, I think most people would assume that that would be sufficient evidence to believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus. Well, it wasn't, according to Matthew. Because no amount of proof and evidence can sometimes persuade us. Because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus isn't just a fact. It's a spiritual reality to embrace. Because what happened in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus was an invitation for all who are sick, all who are suffering, indeed all who come to the Lord Jesus. It's an invitation for all to come to him. In the very last words of this gospel, Jesus says that he is surely with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus' resurrection is not simply a fact to believe. It's a spiritual reality to embrace. Because it's a promise not just of his life, but it's a promise for our lives. Because just as Jesus met Mary with fear as she left that tomb, so the resurrected Lord Jesus offers to meet us in our doubt, in our fear, to bring us joy. And if we, if we this day can see the truth of the resurrection, if this day we can trust in the truth of Jesus' resurrection, then Jesus promises us his power, his power of resurrection life. If we can fix our heart on him, then our lives will never be the same. You see, for Jesus and in his life, for moments it looked as though everything was lost. It looked so dark. It was a moment of utter despair in his death. But in three days, he was raised. And Jesus is offering us that same kind of reality in our lives. There are situations where indeed in a situation where for many it looks like 
It's simply despair. It looks like it's darkness and it looks like it's death. But Jesus comes into these situations in our lives and he offers this resurrection power. All that death can do now for those that fix their heart on the resurrected Lord Jesus, all death can do now is raise us in the Lord Jesus. George Herbert, the poet, said that death used to be our executioner, but in the resurrection of Christ, but by the resurrection of Christ, he makes death nothing but a gardener. See, when death when disease, when despair tries to bury us, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it's really planting us. It's planting us such that one day we too will rise again. And that means that we can face this day and the coming days with courage and hope because Jesus comes into our doubt into our despair, into the tombs of our darkness. And he offers life. He offers resurrection for all who would trust in him. We're going to pray. We're going to pray now to that God who raised Jesus from the dead. And we're going to pray for those who suffer. We're going to pray for all that they might come to know the resurrected Lord Jesus. Gavin's going to lead us in prayer now. Thanks.